Hi, and welcome back to At the Devil's Ball, where you talk about horror and horror-adjacent movies in a positive, constructive manner. Uh, We just got off being dreamy with our David Lynch appreciation, so we're going now into our guest choice month or two months or whatever it is. Uh, So we're going to switch gears, so to speak, and uh, yes, that happened, and cover uh, a moron movie that... uh, was, was and Stephen King called it a moron movie. We're of course talking about uh, 1986's Maximum Overdrive with uh, starring uh, Emilio Estevez. Uh, what what can you say about this movie? It, it one of the few movies that maybe deserved the Razzie nomination it got. Uh, it's definitely an odd film. You're um, not as excited to talk about this today as, as I thought you would. I, I'm, I'm working up to it. I'm, we're, 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 working we're, we're working up the energy. But anyway, that, yep. that, that voice you just heard is that uh, we have two guests with us this week. Yes, we have uh, Paul Stedman and uh, Stephen King. And I almost forgot both of your names there for no reason. This I think like this movie hurt my brain going from David Lynch to possibly the dumbest Stephen King adaptation possible may, like, may have heard I something inside me for sleepwalkers right yeah and then of course we have to we have to basically address that elephant in the room that not that Stephen King yes we have uh, the writer of Maximum Overdrive here <laughs> today. Uh, yeah <laughs> who's, and, who's not who's not at all tired of you know jokes about his name uh, Stephen King how are you sir I'm doing very well and, and no Stephen with a V yeah Stephen with a V <laughs> Uh, for my comics work, I uh, use the name S. Lewis King just so that I can avoid uh, that people think it sounds pretentious. I'm like, it's not pretentious. I just right. don't want the comparison. So, well, I mean, you could just call yourself or, Joe, Joe Hill, the worst, the the worst kept secret in the world that I yeah. do. call yourself uh, Owens and uh, be done with it. Well, with the S.L. King thing, you, you can also write like erotic fiction and get away with it because that seems to be like what happens with E.L. James, right? right and right. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Have you thought about that, S.L. King? Have you thought about a? Uh... I've thought about Fifty Shades of Grey a lot. <laughs> oh, oh, you're not asking me. Okay, I'm sorry, not Mr. King. <laughs> uh, no. and you guys, you guys do a podcast or something. Yes, we do. Um, yeah. So uh, we, we do Invasion of the Podcast, uh, mm-hmm. myself and Steve, um, where we talk about erotic fiction. That is not true. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so on the table, though. Right. It's always on the table. Don't, I mean, yeah, don't, 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 uh, don't I mean, make any decisions you can't we're, take we're back. Yeah. Some Schumacher uh, Batman nipples at some point. It's going to be amazing. Right. <laughs> uh, no, so the genesis of this episode with having with you guys having us on here, and I appreciate that, is that uh, uh, Samuel reached out to me uh, when you guys were first starting the show and be like, "Hey, did you want to come on and talk about Sleepwalkers?" And I was like, "No, what about?" <laughs> and you're like, "Well, no, we're we're going to be um, covering um, oh shit, the director Mick Garris. Mick Garris. We're going to cover yeah. Mick Garris." And I'm like, "Yeah, but Maximum Overdrive." And you're and you're, so. So I agreed to do Sleepwalkers. I was like, fine, you guys need to come on our show and talk about Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is almost the same movie as Sleepwalkers. <laughs> you guys came on for our Year of Animation episode. I actually just reused my notes for Sleepwalkers for that episode. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you um, yeah, so so yeah, and then I, you know, like you guys came on for that and then you guys are gracious enough to, to um, satisfy my uh, insane want to talk about maximum overdrive. So that's why we're here. And I know Steve is always down for fun genre stuff of lawnmowers running over people and uh, rogue soda machines. Yes. Who is There's it? nothing better than a man getting hit in the nuts with a, a rogue soda. So 
I'm all yeah, over and over again. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and yeah, that was actually the impetus for us to do um, Guest Choice Month, actually, as well, is right. because uh, it, it turns out because you guys weren't able to do Maximum Overdrive at the time of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, that we were like, we penciled you guys in for March, and then we was like, well, actually, why don't we just keep that role? So that's yeah. what we're going to be doing for like the next like, eight weeks, I think, is just like asking guests what they want to talk about and then we'll 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 roll with it can the um, theme be vending machines that attack people can you make, make like uh, if, if 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 any of our future anybody who's going to be on our show in the next like eight weeks or like can find another movie with uh killer right. uh, uh vending machines we're down um i think i think uh, i think there's only seven of those movies though yeah well i mean we have to come it, back and do back that'll be, drive again that'll be the that'll be the culmination of the two months is that sam and i will then quickly make a movie about a killer uh Right, uh, uh, and I'll try to move it, and it'll tip over and kill me. Yeah, anyway, yes, and I am Nathaniel as well. Uh, and uh, uh, I, uh, I guess, kind of created this whole mess, and then Sam came on board as my uh, my host. And before we jump into the film, we've we've uh, chattered and chattered. I, I'm gonna do the vital stats, do our due diligence to make sure we credit this mess, and uh, and then we will jump on to maximum overdrive. Uh, so the film, as for mentioned, is directed, written and directed by uh, Stephen King. It's the only film he ever directed. Uh, he, after this film completely failed, he then said he was never going to direct ever again. Um, quite a cast we've got here. We've got uh, Emilio Estevez, Pat Hengel, Laura Harrington, Yardley Smith, uh, and... Uh, Yardley. Yard, yeah, Yardley. 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 It's not Yardley. Yardley. Yardley Smith, uh, who is, of course, best known as the voice of Lisa Simpson uh, on The Simpsons. And then we've got, uh, we've got Dino De Laurentiis, uh, of course, uh, produced this, be- this, this film. Uh, and then Martha De Laurentiis, uh, a producer as Martha Schumacher, uh, mother of Batman and Superman. Um, <laughs> Martha! And, of course, most notably, this film also has the, uh, basically the entire discography of ACDC. In it. Right. Um, and uh, I guess that's about it for vitals. Then we can just jump right on into this thing. You missed, you missed one important early, early um, appearance by Giancarlo Esposito. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, that's right. That that's right. Mama. Yeah. He's the guy in the arcade. And it's just like, I want to believe that he survived the attack at the Dixie Boy and then was like, you know what? He sold all those cigarettes and the, and the loose change and started yeah. his first batch of meth. It's either that or the chicken restaurant. And he just oh. went on from there. So I want to believe this is a, a prequel to, to Breaking Bad before Better Call Saul. Well, we're all actors in Gene Carlo's, you know, play and at the end of the day, really. <laughs> One way or the other. <laughs> so where do we where do we begin talking about Max Overdrive? Uh, how do we how do we unpack this film? So yeah, I, that's a good I, question. I would I would pose it to the three of you because um, I know Steve and I uh, when we talked about a lot of movies growing up that he had the opportunity to see a lot of stuff in the theater. Steve, did you get to see but, this theater at all? Um, I didn't. Surprisingly, oh. of all the movies I saw, I didn't. This was an HBO jam for me. Mm-hmm. Same. I think it was just, I think it had to be a video store rental because uh, anything with the name Stephen King, uh, uh, my mom, like she, I, I, maybe that's where we even start this a little bit because I know you guys have already talked about the some of the miniseries and the stand. Right. Yeah, we have. Um, like your appreciation or where you came in with, with the author. My mom was the main uh, influence for me. She kept all the books. She thought my older brother would be the reader. 
30 years right. ago, that's a joke now like but she thought my older brother would be the one not me um and so but anything stephen king we'd watch automatically so i'm sure regardless Same. of what was about to happen it was going to be at our house being shown mm-hmm. so. yeah definitely uh, i mean I, I i rented everything i could stephen king from the video store watched whatever i could on tv um this wasn't this was never like one of the ones where i'm like yeah fuck, yeah this movie is my favorite uh, but it was always in the rotation somewhere. Well, and I might even read the short story of Trucks uh, from what was it, uh, Night Shift? It was a Night Shift, yeah. That before the movie came out, because I was chasing a lot of. Uh, I was reading Stephen King in middle school, like I'm sure. Yeah. Looking at me weird, looking around like the stand and it, you know, right? Like the, the teachers were like, "Well, there's that one part. Like, what are you talking about? Never mind. Just keep reading. Just like, <laughs> all right." Um, but yeah, so I think that would be the first thing is like our, our first experiences with this. But I know it was at home. And I as a kid, I thought this movie was amazing because, you know, things got smashed together and people got hurt in that way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, outside of, you know, the trailer where Stephen King says he's going to scare the hell out of you. I mean, this movie delivers on its premise 100 yeah, yeah, percent. I mean, yeah. it gives you what it tells you it's going to give you. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it, it basically says I, I remember. Um, I think particularly this film, I, I don't remember when I first saw it, but I remember seeing the box of it and yeah. uh, the, the image of uh, Emilio Estevez with a shotgun. And then behind him is the truck with the green goblin face. Right. Um, and I remember it being a very uh, a creepy image for me when I was a small child. Um, and I don't remember when I first saw this film. I don't think I've seen it that many times. Um, uh, I remember the last time I watched it before the other day was I watched it um, with the commentary track, uh, the new the new Vestron release where I had the commentary track with uh, uh, Jonah Ray of Mystery Science Theater. Right. And um, yeah, I haven't uh, seen the Ryan film probably. I haven't seen the film in probably ten years prior to this or more. And I know I use this as an excuse to buy the Vestron movie. And well, every so, every just every, like why are you? Jen's like, why are you buying Maximum Overdrive? I'm like, I'm like, I have to. It's for the show. It's every 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 restaurant. Every, I think every restaurant release has, has been worth. It's a good buying. one. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, they're they're it's almost exclusively like schlock, but uh, it's it's definitely like really worth picking up. Um, but yeah, so I mean, this film, it's 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 as I've been calling it, profoundly stupid. Yes. Uh, it's so stupid that I think that it it kind of like. Uh, uh, is key to understanding the universe in some way, like uh, you know, deep, deep down, deeply. Like, there's some sort of deep truth in how in in, in uh, how stupid this movie is. Um, so I guess I mean, like, uh, uh, well, let's. Uh, what, what's the profound truth we learned from this? Other than don't trust your waffle maker. I guess. I mean, uh, that's something that I guess that's something we could start with. That's a that's a question to pose to the group. Is, is Sam mentioned this on uh, on social media uh, over this past week, mentioning uh, uh, talking about maximum overdrive, of where the periphery of technology begins and ends in this particular film, because certain <laughs> examples. Well, you open up. You open up with you know the the bridge scene. Yes. Which, you know, rest in peace, ACDC, mm-hmm. killed by watermelons. Yeah. Bank teller, not the, well, not even the ATM, oh, yeah. like the marquee that goes so, through, like, saying, like, Dave, temperature, telling everybody to, like, you know. Fuck uh, you, it says. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Which, you know, that could have just been someone having a bad day at a bank. Right. We don't right. know that. Um, Some yeah. bank had to sign off on that, too, which is amusing. I don't think a bank nowadays would even let them do that. <laughs> 
I think there's a lot of things about this film you couldn't do today, but um, right. But I mean, like it when you get to the the bridge scene, you know they sh- they show the buttons and the levers actually moving on right. the bridge controls, right? So they can control physical mechanisms. It's not just like you know, oh, if it's electricity, we can get in there and be the ghost of the machine or whatever. It's it's except we're actually pushing gas things. still. Um, yes, yeah, but. but- I mean, somebody's moving the steering wheel. Somebody's pushing the pedals. And that's like, that's the part that baffles me. <laughs> I'm like, what? How? Why? We see an electric, uh, an electric knife working without power. Right. And uh, without, and, and cutting someone without any leverage or, you yeah, know, yeah. the vending machine shoots things at a, at a, at a rate that vending machines are incapable of. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get cinema sensi on here. I always try not to be, but it's at the same time. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> Let's back it up just a second here. Sure. I mean, this I hate that this is going to sound like I'm going to come out as like the defender of this movie. I um... oh, no, it's, I love this movie. We all we're, yeah, it's movie. all with love. Yeah, yeah. We, we do we do positivity. One here. guy's really treating this seriously, but no, let's let's back <laughs> up. let's 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 do this a little bit too. Let's just come into this. You had mentioned this was King's only directorial effort. That uh, he has admitted that you know he was so high on coke this time. This is mm-hmm. like his his like just his output. And everything like I can't think of another author of that time that just was meteoric, like rising oh, yeah. in like the pop conscious, like of everything, mm-hmm. right? And how he was having stories being turned into movies before the books were published, and just like so that if yeah. someone's like, "Hey, yeah, it's fairly common nowadays," but it back is. then, it, yeah, not. like one of my favorite adaptations is Christine. You were talking about a car that you know, like how why mm, do you right? see everything moving there? But it's like, well, it's a ghost. It's fine. Yeah, it's a, right. it's a demon or whatever. It's yeah. one car. It's yeah. one car, and it can make people choke on hamburgers. That makes <laughs> anything happen in maximum overdrive, right? now. Um, and it can somehow fix itself. But uh, yeah, like he was just it, at this point, it was kind of like he could do no wrong, and then suddenly right. this went very wrong. Went very wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, but like this is actually um, what, like a year or two before the Running Man came out, which I know was not his. Mm-hmm. Uh, his not his movie, and the adaptation is completely different. Yeah. Than, yeah. but it's like you know people's faith and maybe the output was starting to maybe waver a little bit but yeah here's this guy that like you know the height of like well he's bigger now but like just right. huge he was a rock star yeah just coked out of his brain and when they said hey you can make any movie you want he right. said okay i want to adapt a short story that involves trucks They're like why because he was terrified of dealing with actors so right. you got like the most then you got a west of us which I'm sure he knew it was a paycheck. I don't like, mm-hmm. I like Emilio Estevez, but he, I thought he was way more popular than this movie. So I don't know why he was here other than to get paid. Mm. Um, but anyway, oh, well, this thing was just a cocaine filled nightmare. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Other than that one guy lost an eye. Um, yeah. The bridge sequence is actually like, as much as it's illogical showing the knobs and the lovers turn, you got to have some storytelling for the. Viewer. Absolutely. Um, I don't know why the machine revolution started watermelon day i don't know <laughs> but it did but yeah. that the wholesale carnage of that like, sequence and all the damage and like and then some of the weird like um like peck and paw slow motion stuff going on with some of the things right. like that's actually a kind of a fun sequence because it actually yeah. shows the ridiculousness of what's going on and also like how something that comes becomes inconvenient suddenly turns like very scary i mean the whole thing's laughable but if you were in that situation, you saw the ACDC van coming at you, and you know, right, or getting thrown through all the weakest windshields known to man. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. I like. I just. No, much, it's a, 
it's a good sequence it's, wreck, but it's that's actually there's a lot of car damage on screen and it's like you don't see that anymore no it's kind of you know it's the kid the de laurentis group's movies at the time you know they were kind of doing the same kind of jam as like canon films where they're they're trying to give you big budget you know screen time for for medium to small budgets and right away in this movie it sets up everything at first you know sequence of what what the dangers are watermelons <laughs> how this works uh it doesn't <laughs> it, it, but it's, it, it sets everything up that you need to know uh, aside from the overly long uh text at the beginning and the end that they tacked in oh, the text i have the text here if you guys want me to go over it it's fine i have it here. <laughs> set up the story i have it all written out because it's amazing right on june 19th 1987 at 9 47 a.m eastern standard time that's important it's very important Nine, 19th yeah 19th is a big number in the stephen king universe he didn't know that yet though yeah yeah, yeah. You know, until that band but anyway so uh, the earth passed into an extraordinarily diffused extraordinarily diffused tale of Rhea m a rogue comet but what's a non-rogue comet by the way all cometers kind of doing their thing wouldn't they just be like i I, th- I think i think a rogue comet is one that does that isn't linked to just one solar system it's just zipping through but i could I could be wrong. An, unpre- I'll, uh, I'll, an unpredicted comet, I guess. Yeah, I'll, I'll, call, comet. I'll call DeGrasse Tyson real quick and let see if he knows. <laughs> uh, well, it, in, in, well, yeah. If, if, <laughs> when, when you're right, you're at it. Ask him about uh, knobs and levers turning by themselves. I'm pretty sure that a rogue comet actually wears a leather jacket and smokes unfiltered cigarettes. <laughs> And, 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 jump, and jumps and over sharks. Yeah. And they're always named James. Rogue Comet's just a small moon that's still. We know that. That's no moon. That's a rogue comet. So the tale of this thing is that the Earth's going to be in it for eight days, five hours, 29 minutes, and 23 seconds. How would you feel like to be that one person that got to the last 20 seconds and then you got hit by a car? That right. Is- yeah. Um, but so yeah, so the, the, supposedly that's when technology activates. To speak to you guys' question of the scope of this. I don't know. I, I had some theories about this. What oh. if some of the um, the stuff waking up didn't hate humans and they were just kind of okay with the way things were? <laughs> what? So it's like you know, what if some of them are neutral as well? Uh, yeah, I don't know. The uh, uh, the the I I feel like yeah, like the Switzerland of uh, of the <laughs> robot uprising would would probably be like I don't know, uh, 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 ice cream machines maybe or uh, uh, well definitely uh, definitely not fleshlights. Uh, they're they're definitely going to be anti-human. <laughs> really, really pissed. Well, that's yeah. what I mean. would a would a flashlight even be affected by it? Like because that's what I mean is what where is the it's got the same it's got technology? the same innards. It's got the same innards as like you know an electric knife. It just serves a different purpose. I don't know. <laughs> because technology is uh, not again not to get too literal, but Paul kind of opened this door of um, like uh, uh, Bernard Stegler uh, was a uh, uh, German philosopher. Wrote a whole set of he actually got his PhD in philosophy while in like, while doing ten years for armed robbery in Germany. He wrote a whole series of books about technology and its re- response. And he was kind of pointing out from the word go that like, you know, the soon the, the second that uh, some caveman figured out they could put a rock on the end of a stick and make a spear, that's technology. Um, right. So if technology is turning on us, does that include like the desk? Uh, the desk is a created, uh, the chair. Like I, I just find that. I, just I think it has to have. 
It has to have some sort of uh, potential energy, you know, to turn into kinetic energy to work. Uh, I've had a chair turn on me. So. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. Well, so I was watching this movie. When I was watching this movie, I couldn't figure out. Like, there's a, right before the, the, the steamroller runs over the kid. Did the bike buck him off? It seemed like it. I was going to mention that. Uh, like, do you think the, the bike well, the Did bike the chain? bike count? Um, is that bike alive? Because that has no internal engine, no uh, no power source. It's just a bike. Right. So at that point, but he was riding it at the time, so it could. Be, are there rogue pulleys? Like, um, <laughs> well, I mean, we also see sprinklers going off in the movie. That's like, true. right. That's just water control. Like, like conscious sprinklers too. Because when the kid turns to look around, they just all shut off. It's like sprinklers, like shh, shh, shh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're just something to get no them good. good. Yep. They're up to no good. The sprinklers. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, I, I will say, sorry, Steve, please like, say like. No, no, I just wanted to go back real quick to the premise. And I I, I don't want to say like, oh, maybe we're thinking about it too much, but. Um, no such thing. On Facebook, <laughs> Sam had, had posted something along the lines of, had Maximum Overdrive been in Creepshow, people would love it. Yes. And you're not yeah. wrong. I think that's right. absolutely true. And I think that this movie, if, if this, if you told me Maximum Overdrive came from an EC comic, yeah, I would be it like, would be that all logic it. makes, yeah, it makes complete sense. And uh, uh, we obviously, having seen King act in Creepshow, we know that he's, you know, he's got tendencies. Like he's, right. he's certainly not subtle about certain things. And I think that's kind of the way he approached this movie was. I don't think he really thought about like, well, where's the line or how does this work? But I, oh, I, no. think, that, yeah. <laughs> I think he's just like not. machines turning against us. I'm just yep. going to go. Well, so I actually sat down and read the short story today um, okay. before um, uh, sitting down here because I, you know, because I was I was going to be professional as shit. Coming mm-hmm. uh, and the notion is it's at truck stop. Uh, the big trucks are circling like sharks, and there's some like right. violence there. Um, but then the, the 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 narrator is noticing like smaller vehicles starting to join in, and he kind of uses that as troubling because at first it was just the large vehicles. Now regular you know consumer vehicles are showing up, and then right. so he's starting to build in his head that like whatever's happening is spreading and getting more severe. And the, uh, the very last things in the short story is that he hears two um, smaller like um, not prop planes but like you know smaller planes in the sky mm-hmm. he's like he's like i can only hope there's people in there but it's like basically he's like i don't think there is now so right. uh it's you know is it just is it just vehicle based in the short story or do yeah, they have at this point yeah but the notion that it was like it, whatever was whatever it was of starting with the larger things and it's trickling down to the smaller things right and i and i think that he was trying to get that across in the movie but it was so inconsistent that you couldn't because like the the married couple's car was fine the entire time, um, right? True. Grabby McGee Priestman, his car was fine the entire time. <laughs> I'd know? like to also point out the chick tracks that were in his car. I don't know if you guys are familiar yeah. with those. Well, yeah, but... he's he sold Bibles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, chick tracks. Yeah. Yeah. That, There's I mean, an old Onion article like, "Why can't I sell these piece of shit Bibles?" I saw him in there. I'm like, here, read this young lady as I grew up you about how if you don't turn towards God, machines are going to come and ruin it. <laughs> right. Um, There's something in one of the one of the versions of the Bible, I'm sure, that says something about cars, you know, killing people. But it's like it's the, the whole thing was inconsistent. But I will say too, the bit of the whatever it was, the military, whatever it is, like the 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 platform with the gun that shows up. Just duck, guys. Just yeah. duck. 
wait till it's out of bullets. That's an <laughs> option too. Um, how it was started to honk out in like Morse code. Right. Uh, something similar was in the short story too. Like so, that was there already. Yeah. The girl in the diner yelling, "We made them!" Was in the right. short story. Yes. So, like, the short story was enough because it was like 16 pages. It just kind of was self-contained, and it was like, "Oh, it's creepy. What's going on?" Yeah, it was. It was written and sold to a magazine in like '73. I mean, yeah. yeah. So. This should have been part of an anthology. Like, yes. Like, this could have been if it was framed the right way, I think people would love this movie, but since it's supposed to be King Colony's shot in his trailer where he is looking kind of straight at the camera because you could never tell with right. him, where he's like, I'm going to scare the hell out of you. It's like, right. you don't you, and also when you're like, it's about time someone did my stuff right. Yeah, like, it's kind of the hubris of it. Yeah. It's like, whew. That's I think I think that 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 was a strike against him. Just the hubris of you know I'm going to do it right for a change instead of being like I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> the trailer would have been him like waking up. I got paid to make a movie. Yeah. Dude, now right, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't look much into you know what year all of his his works were adapted, but I feel like this is one of the first times where they took a short story and turned it into a feature length. And that's always that's always tricky with Stephen King because so, you know there's not always enough there. Uh, okay, so what I have here, actually, I think I found out the chronology of uh, his stuff that was released when it was released in terms of... His I mean, film. he did like Cat's Eye and Creep Show and stuff, but those were short stories in an anthology. So I love when our, our guests do the uh, do uh, all yeah, the like so much Sam and I, Yeah, Sam and I are just yeah. lazy as hell. We don't even, we don't well, even look the stuff Steve usually well. does the heavy lifting on the other show, so I figure I owe him one. So, <laughs> uh, um, so all right. So, uh, Maximum Overdrive came out in 86, right? So, right. what we had in terms of Stephen King adaptations to that point... I'll just roll through them real quick because there's not that many. Uh, 76 was Carrie. 1980 was The Shining. 82 was Creepshow. Um, uh, 83 uh, was Cujo, which was its own book. The Dead Zone, its own book. And Christine, its own book. 84, Children of the Corn, short story. Short story. Firestarter, a book. Cat's Eye Anthology with three or four short stories. Silver Bullet, which was a novella. Uh, Cycled Werewolf. And then... 86 we got maximum overdrive and then the way other side of king's ability was stand by me yeah, which right. was also a novella yeah. so um we actually had more long-form king adaptations before we got i mean there's a couple anthologies in there but there weren't yeah. many like in children of the corn i haven't revisited that in a long time but i remember it it probably it, it was probably better being adapted into a full story versus the short story right but, yeah, so there hadn't been much King out there. So I don't know what he was disagreeing with. <laughs> Whatever he's like, no well, one it was The Shining. Yeah, he hated The Shining. That would almost certainly would be a reference to The Shining. Yeah, that was the only one that he ever complained about. Right. Um, I also think uh, as somebody who tries to sell a product, um, I'm not a great salesman. And uh, You tried cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the list. It's also my weight loss alternative. Um, but uh you know, I have trouble like when somebody was like, hey, tell me about your comic book. I have trouble, you know, giving either short summations or also just like hyping it up right. because I, I don't know like what people's expectations are. So I have trouble with that. And I, I kind of think if you're marketing this movie, well, yes, it's partially hubris. I think it's also like if you're behind the company, you're like, he just said that, like, if you're going to do it right, you know, I got to do it myself. That's great. Let's use that everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's part of it too. Is is that uh, there was somebody in marketing who was like, "That's all we need." Just him saying that. We don't even have to put 
you know, any yeah, we could just put music from Halloween three in the trailer and just call it <laughs> a day at that point. Yeah, which yeah. Is why that, the music for that works way better. Like, I mean, ACDC's great, and we could talk about more about that a little yeah. bit later, but mm. my gosh, the Halloween 3 music works for this movie better than it had any right doing for the trailer, right? right? Um, but yeah. But I do think, Stephen, I, I, I think you're right. I, I think that was probably a marketing decision to have him do the trailer like that. I don't think it was necessarily his even decision. the initial poster they put out, I saw it was uh, showing on the, like, the bottom third, like the film. Yeah. And then you saw King looking like the puppet master behind right. pulling strings or do it or rails or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this film was almost certainly developed, uh, developed by the idea that it was going to be King Dewey and himself. And right. that was definitely the marketing choice. And he had just uh, come off of doing, you know, Creep Show and, you know, having a small part in Knight Riders and working with George Romero and, you know, seeing a little bit of how films were made. Yeah. I'm not saying a lot of it made it over into this. Well, then there's, yeah, then there's, talking then there's the uh, a fun story I read recently about Maximum Overdrive, Stephen King, where he um, he's like his first day of shooting. He uh, he said, "Okay, what we'll do is we will shoot from this angle, and then we'll jump to the other side, and we will shoot from that angle." And the cinematographer nearly walked off the set right. because he was breaking the uh, the 180. The 180. Yeah, and uh, he basically called. Um, I guess he called George Romero and said, right. uh, "What what's the 180 axis?" And, uh, and and George Romero laughed at him, and said, and told him what it was, which is basically just uh, you 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 keep keep things on the same side of the frame, so that the audience doesn't get disor- uh, disoriented. Uh, and then uh, he called David Lynch, and asked him about it. And David Lynch laughed and said, "Well, Steve, you can do whatever you want. You're the director, but it doesn't right. cut together well." Um, and, uh, so, I mean, right off the bat, I guess this first day on set King is like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. And that's, a- that's the other thing at the same time as this was getting filmed in, uh, the North Carolina film studios that, you know, the Laurentis group set up blue velvets being filmed at the other end of the, end of the lot, which is yeah. amusing. But yeah, the, so see, I mean, it was almost the same movie. I could see how yeah. get that mixed up. No, just- well, they, they talked about having Cal McLaughlin pay, play the truck. At one point, <laughs> oh, just Hopper's face on the, the 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 toys truck. That's what I want to. Say. I still want you to do a deep fake, but I should do this. Yeah, Hopper. that that truck doesn't actually try to kill you unless you look at it. It should be a past blue ribbon truck, though. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. What was it? There was a Budweiser truck, right? Or a Bud? Um, I think it was Miller, but I, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I was I was fascinated by the, by the truck that was filled with loose rolls of toilet paper more than anything else. I was. Why does Bic pens need an entire truck? Like how many? Like was were pins? I think it was lighters. I'm a, but yeah. Yeah. No, it was the logo of like the Bic pen guy, right? It's just like. Right. I don't know. Was there like a like a like a shortage in like the '80s of like banks not having pens and they had? To well, they just. I mean, they but, probably just had a guy going around to all the the truck lots and be like, "Hey, can we use this truck?" And they're like, "Whatever, give me a thousand dollars." I just don't know what a big truck. Why there had to be a large big pen truck or stationary truck? I, I've got to imagine they 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 deliver in bulk uh, wholesale. Right. I mean, for me, much, time, pens or just shoot the top of them. I guess that would make sense. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I just put boxes upon boxes about boxes of pens. That's what really my assumption. Yeah. But I mean, like, so yeah, I mean, it's got a lot of the, it's also got a lot of the Stephen King tropes where, you know, the 
allegedly, and I'm not sure if it's true or not, you know, Stephen King wanted to get Bruce Springsteen to play the Emilio Estevez role, and Dina De Laurentiis was like, Who, who's Bruce Springsteen? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you can tell he's kind of playing it in a very mid-80s Springsteen kind of working man vibe with his too tight blue jeans and his shirt and kind of swagger. Um, it's got that. It's got, you know, he's got this dark past. Uh, I was almost expecting him to say at one point that he just got back from Shawshank. <laughs> I was hoping that we'd get like some type of hint that Emilio Estevez's character uh, was like a, like a four-star wrestler in high school and then dropped out because he got, he couldn't get out <laughs> repeatedly and just like right. his life just kind of just went downhill from there. Right. You know, that's the, that's what I was hoping. I wanted this to be also like a Breakfast Club sequel. Yeah, well, a- <laughs> we, we still could come back to it and do like, you know, a Cobra Kai version of Maximum Overdrive when they show them now, you know? Yeah, yeah. I duct tape a kid's ass cheeks up. <laughs> so I Steve, deserve this. Steve, I got to ask you, because uh, I know of your love of Batman. Uh, how, how did you think of this badass Pat Hingle? What'd you think of that? I mean, honestly, he gets a lot more to do than he did in four Batman movies. So <laughs> true. it's true. Uh, Prime would have went down if he would have had a rocket launcher with him. (laughs) Again, this is another 80s trope where there's always a room with like ordinance in it that people (laughs) just shouldn't have. Yeah, there's at least this one that almost he's he's shady. He works at a truck stop. I mean, I could see storm the Capitol afterwards. (laughs) He's an international arms dealer or something, apparently. Pat Pat Hagel, Q Shaman, you know, I don't know. I don't need that in my life, but yeah. Michael Gross stops by before Trimmers to go stock up on that. Yeah. Right. Well, they had, it was, you know, the mid eighties. They had to have the, you know, let's gear up for war. See, that's, that's. Yeah. I mean, he got, well, I mean, clearly, yeah, he gets killed off before uh, the, before he, uh, the Steven Seagal movie he was about to make, apparently like the weapons <laughs> right. dealer uh, that, you know, Chuck Norris was, uh, was scheduled for the next day to, uh, to come in and take out his, uh, his rogue operation. But yeah, I mean, why the hell does a truck stop dealer have all this stuff? But um, I mean, I, the thing I get is like, you know, the cheap labor element, I think, is 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 more in line with the character as presented. Definitely. Like the idea that he's like, I'm, I'm hiring uh, felons. Right. So I don't so have I can, to pay you. Yeah. Right. Like, it's, it probably didn't go past me. People with a truck stop, truck stop called the Dixie Boy. Yeah. This guy's kind of running his own um, his own thing. Where he's using labor against its will to do what right. he wants. I don't know. I think there's yeah, right there somewhere. There's... I don't. I can't quite put my finger on what was there in the South. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. It is kind of weird that he's only like trying to screw about a one hour of labor. <laughs> like that seems like if you're gonna do it, man, go big. Tell him where he's working a double. I mean, right. Right. Yeah. Time card. One of them said Gene Poole, and I was like, "That's a funny name." And it's like, "Oh, that's the actual name of a guy that was on the production crew." Yeah. I was just like, oh, I thought you were just making a joke about how the, it's, the two it's the two star guy is the one that uh, lost his eye because of the, the piece of wood flying out of the yeah, lawnmower. Yeah. He's a two star employee. I don't know. Um, that's so. my origin story now, by the way, guys. That's uh, that's what I'm going to tell people next. Is I lost my eye on the set of Maximum Overdrive during the during the robot uprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Robot Wars in 1986. Yeah, so we, we, we Stephen King, uh, Stephen King's taking a little bit of a beating in this conversation, but I do want to say that I, I've, I'm impressed with his reaction to the negativity of this film. Um, I, yeah, and before I mean, and before I put a halo on his head and, and talk about this, I mean, I do want to say also, kind of want to, in all fairness, he could afford to lose. Um, 
you know, it like, well, okay, my filmmaking career didn't pan out. I'll go back to my multi-million dollar publishing deal instead. Um, so, I mean, but at the same time, any other, and Sam mentioned something along these lines on social media as well this week of the idea of um, any other filmmaker would be, uh, would have the compunction to sort of make excuses or, right. uh, or, or uh, blame somebody else or, uh, uh, or even just, or the Tommy Wiseau, like, I, I didn't mean it. I didn't really mean it. You yeah, know, it's supposed to be a comedy. Uh, or... It's supposed to be a comedy. Uh, you know, but Stephen King just said, I made a bad film and I'm never going to do that again. And, uh, and I'm, I'm impressed with that level of humility that he would just be like, Hey, I completely screwed the pooch on this. I, uh, I, I, and I'm sorry. And I'm never, I'm just not going to make films anymore. Like, right. this which is, is a, a this shame. Is, yeah. I'm surprised he, I mean, after all these years, I'm surprised he never gave it another shot. Um, I know. I mean, obviously, if you ever, I think did, it's just a lot of work. I mean, it's it's that too. I think if you if you got a right to print money as somebody who just you know is is a novelist and you know maybe executive produces shows up a couple of days for a show, um, to direct is such a full time job. I don't want to say it's laziness, but I mean, why would you want to go back to that when you can just print money at home? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think, and also, it just I think maybe just the challenges of being a director just didn't suit. Yeah, you know, uh, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I, and like I said, I think I, I'm, I'm rather impressed that he owned the failure and then said, uh, "It's not for me. This isn't what yeah, I." Yeah, he's do. he's harsher on it than I think maybe average more people are. Years. I mean, obviously, this film was this film was hammered mm-hmm. when it came out. I mean, like everybody hated this film when it came out, um, and now it's got it's got a little bit of life, like a lot of films now. Uh, you know, it gets a special edition release and it turns out there's a lot more people that love it than you, than you think would, than was readily apparent. Right. Um, but I mean, like, I think this film, it's uh, like, I, I've made, I, I make jokes about it, but I mean, I do appreciate it for its simplicity. And yeah, like um, I said, it, it, it tells you what it's trying, going to do and it goes out and does it. I mean, yeah, it's like Roadhouse, the Michael, yeah. the, the, Michael <laughs> right. J, the Michael J. Nelson Roadhouse principle. That, exactly. You know, that uh, Roadhouse is the perfect movie because it, it says, I'm making Roadhouse. Right. If and I were talking it, about, if I were talking about actual flaws in the film, other than you know the conceit is bonkers and everybody was coked out of their gourds and whatever yeah. else, it, it's it's it drags in the middle. It's got a, it's got that second act drag where it's like, yeah. okay, can we just move it along again? Um, yeah, we spend too much time with the with the uh, uh, with the kid. I think we spend mm-hmm. too much time with the married couple. Uh, I think, you know, I think all of that is, we is, spend too much time seeing, you know, Emilio Estevez, you know, screw that lady in the, in the dirty shower. It's like, it's just like, you mind if I just touch you? She's like, I'll stab you. And he's like, <laughs> sex. Like, yeah. it's like, Whoa, I always forget well, about how sudden and immediate that is. Right. Yes. I mean, you have to get the line. You fuck like a hero in there somewhere, I guess, yeah, but like, you know, I would have told, I would have given it to Pat Hinkle. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, you. She Emilioed that Estevez immediately. Like, what is yeah. going on here? Uh, yeah, she. She literally, I think, just runs when she when they first meet. She just outright says like, "Oh, you're cute." Like it's right. it's like. Which I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, in terms of like, hey, you know what? Uh, there's all these trucks now full of toilet paper and big pens circling us and killing us. You know, I got nothing else to do. Um, you know, uh, the grill has been messed up with blood and every egg and bacon ever slathered on top of it. Mm. Um, did you Ron Swanson the, was there. The moment, the moment the best of us walked away and the waitress said take over, that flat top became like just a war zone. I have no <laughs> on there. Um, right. 
maybe maybe the Dixie Boy needed to go away. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, hey, else, what else are we going to do? I don't know. Listen to Yearly Smith uh, just screech uh, right. at her, her new husband, Curtis, which I'm just going to throw this out there. Mm-hmm. Curtis, one of the most Southern names you've ever heard. Like, yes, Curtis. Mm-hmm. Have you ever, is there is there a smart Curtis that you guys know? I, I mean, strong. Curtis Hansen. Okay, sure. I, don't know. I guess. I think right. Enos is more of a, a southern name. Enos, but. yeah. No, I, I, I have family. I here's my. I, I grew up in West Virginia. I actually have a cousin named Curtis. That's like, I just, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good. But Steve, I will put this on you. Uh, as a writer, as a creator, uh, as somebody with your own comic, which we're going to plug here at the end because absolutely. Uh, we're total horse. Also, guys, I just got to let you know, just just in case you guys are worried, I just here one second. So it's just, humans are here. Uh, so and loud mouth machine. <laughs> uh, Steve, as you as you write with your book, you try to create like uh, like basically any town Ohio with your book right. and how you write your characters. Uh, I mean, I know you can't be beholden to one influence, but I don't know how much you are familiar with King and his work. The one thing you can say about this film, it's not done well, but he always gives you like this microcosm of people and characters. And they right. all kind of spin out in different directions. They're not the best, but Steve, like how do you feel about King's ability to give you like that small town America where it's like, I know these people. Mm-hmm. I actually, yeah, I think he's really good at that. Obviously. I mean, uh, from one Stephen King to another, uh, let me just give him a compliment. But uh, right. no, uh, so for me, like, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm actually probably in line with a lot of people. But for me, my favorite King adaptations are not horror. I mean, obviously, Shawshank Redemption. I can't think of anybody who doesn't like that movie. But like, right. Dolores Claiborne, I think, is great. I think uh, Stand By Me is actually, I've often said that that movie is easily the best representation of what it's like to be a 10 year old boy like even though it takes place in the 50s i didn't grow up during that time i'm like those that feels real like the conversations they're having um the way they interact with each other and you know just being gross and stupid and like all that feels very much what i equate my experience growing up like as well so um he gives us relatable characters i think that's actually one of his biggest strengths and Mm -hmm. The Dixie Boy is memorable. I mean, even though he didn't create the Green Goblin, that truck is memorable. Like, right. and who knows? That might have just been the art directions or director's decision to make that. But like, I mean, the film I, itself. You know, Marvel was hurting for money, and they would take anything from anybody. Where it's like, oh, right. lap a villain. I like, hey, take all of them. Can you somehow? Yeah. <laughs> can you fit Electro in there? It's like, no, no, no. We go into the Green Goblin. Oh, fine, fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, can we can we load your Red Brown for a couple of days so he can be Captain America in it? You know. <laughs> So I, yeah, I, I, I just uh, doing nothing. Can you get the big wheel in there, please? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I I, I, I lost God. track of the question, but my uh, answer is yes. No, it's like yeah. so. Like I think from his early works at this time, like like uh, Christine does a good capturing of like uh, the actually it's it's like the Allegheny Pittsburgh area mm. in the book. So it's very much in line with like Romero. Like if you right. read, there's a lot of that around that kind of Pittsburgh area yeah. and you vibe there. Um, Salem's Lot is nothing but a character study of a town collapsing right. into this horrible thing going on, and I think he always does a good job of giving you like these 
these like um, signposts of humanity, like good and bad. Like you get the sleazy Bible salesman that you don't like, but he's a character. Also in the short story. Right. They go back and try to save him still. I mean, well, yeah. a little. Well, in the movie they do, in the book they right. don't. Oh, well, uh, sorry. The story, he goes out and gets leveled and launched into the drainage ditch, right? And then right. and in the nighttime, you hear him crying out. And like the young girl who, uh, it's, it's this young uh, boyfriend, girlfriend um, that I think is supposed to be the married couple in the yeah. movie. Uh, she's like freaking out and like the main character's like just leave him and it's like right. he, there's this line of like he cried out for a while and then he got quiet which is like very Vonnegut of like yeah. oh, like basically like we all understand this man's dying and we can't do anything about it and we just kind of waited it out like mm-hmm. that's dark um, mm-hmm. so that there's a lot of weird things that actually happen in this movie that happen in the story but um, I just think as much as this movie is just like this complete a roving junk pile of of things. Uh, there's weird like glimpses of like what this could have been in mm-hmm. here, and I think right. that's why people come to it. That also, I don't know about you guys, but like watching this by myself was it was fine. This is a movie I like dropping on people like unannounced, like sight unseen. Like you find people that don't know. They're not in the same circles that we travel, but they're nice right. people. And you're like, hey, you want to watch something goddamn weird? We're going to watch from Overdrive right now. Right. Um, we've had friends that are like, you know, grownups that have grown-up problems and grown-up jobs and do grown-up things. I'm like, hey, you want to watch like a truck run over people? And they're like, this film's amazing. I'm like, hey, <laughs> right. it's, like it's just it's just fun to watch this and cheer on a steamroller just showing up at a baseball game uh, right. a lot more with a pull start somehow activating by itself a <laughs> hair dryer strangling somebody i don't know right. what happened there um a toy police car which is one of the saddest images shoving itself into a german shepherd's mouth <laughs> like none of this makes sense like um, but I also say that I would love to see like a modern update of this now with how way more connected we are to technology. How much? I don't think they'd ever do a good version of it, though. I mean, I feel like that would not come off well. Oh my gosh! Like you, you know, this is this is where you want Eli Roth. This is where you want him oh, just to go balls out, ridiculous. You know, like this is the film that you need him to do. Well, to the point that nathaniel made earlier about you know king coming out and being like hey this wasn't for me i'm not a good director or whatever like who would you have given this to back in 86 and then like make this and make it a masterpiece like that's <laughs> uh, i mean because you duel which was a, like a truck without like you right. kind of saw somebody chasing dennis weaver like this is just duels just that's that should have been the name of this movie I mean, maybe it's because you know it's like you had mentioned steve that uh you know, this was kind of like the mist with trucks. And I had mentioned that it's kind of Night of the Living Dead with trucks, but it's kind of the same difference. Yeah. I mean, George Romero could have probably done a, done a better version of this. Um, Supposedly he was on set for a lot of the assist. Yeah. I, I saw some rumors that he actually ghost directed some of it. I'm like, I don't think that's true. And that's, that's, but he yeah, was on there a lot. He was visiting a lot. The, was, oh, I, I, anytime anybody mentions ghost directing, I usually am really skeptical. Right. That, that yeah, and I was thinking, and I was, I was yeah. actually thinking, if this was a better regarded movie, we might have another, you know, I uh, divide like with Poltergeist. Or... Say, you know, are you skeptical because the ghost directing? Or are you skeptical of ghosts directing? <laughs> it? Is it a little yes. bit of both. A little bit yeah. of both. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, like you mentioned, like Sam just mentioned, like Poltergeist. There are still people that argue that Steven Spielberg, you know, really directed the majority of Poltergeist, and then like he didn't. I don't. Every, I... Everybody who knows anything about like the set basically said that's not true. But it just keeps getting 
I could see that like you could probably feel the thumb on the scale of Spielberg kind of like the expectation mm -hmm. and that might have directed some of the decisions. I I, I but Toby Well the, oh, yeah, yeah. the rumors started with 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 the two we were getting off track but Toby Hooper and Spielberg where that where that uh, where that started was a a, a uh, the press visited set on a day that Toby Hooper was in the middle, in the backyard, shooting the very, very, very complicated uh, tree scene, living tree scene. Right. Um, and Spielberg was doing second unit in the, in the living room, just in the living room of the house, shooting sides, like stuff that really wasn't going to matter very right. much. And uh, that led to, uh, and apparently the, the press never even went out into the backyard where Hooper was working. And so they went and wrote an article saying Steven Spielberg's really directing this movie. Hooper is not actually doing it. And right. it haunted, it basically ruined Hooper's career. Like, plus Spielberg's, really Spielberg's like king. If, if that name's attached in any way, it's, that's going to be the top name regardless. Yeah. And uh, yeah, as like Joe Bob Briggs has actually pointed out as well, like, you know, that uh, any movie that Amblin made looks like a Steven Spielberg movie because he's in charge. Right. No, and I can see this one being like an amblin. I mean, it's got a little bit of a similar vibe. Maybe it's just because it's the mid '80s. And I do like that there's far sci-fi. I know that there's supposedly like this longer cut of the film out there, like by a few minutes, where it's a little bit more. They have the blood bag scene, right? Roller, which I I saw a screenshot of what happened, which is King said, "Hey, what if this kid that gets rolled over a steamroller will put a blood bag in there so it looks like this like uh, printing press, like right." but then just the head exploded and I, I guess it was like he loved it but uh, but i believe romero was like grossed out by it right like, that's the one thing i heard i, I can't it's was you hear the and then the nbaa had took well, its bite out of it too I, I mean, you know you just can't explode a kid's head no uh, it's like yeah it's fine sure, uh, sure you can I, mean, I, I think whatever you know nope. let the dollar work you know like <laughs> exploding kids heads that's on them that's let the fine. market decide <laughs> That, you know that's economics anyway so um no like I, I like i don't know where i read this and it may be now it's a mandela effect but i swear i've had this in my head for years that romero's like you can't do that and this right. is romero telling king like whoo that's a bridge too far like right. i think that's hilarious yeah. Um, yeah yeah so i think i think he had some guide rails but at the same time it's like you know he was going to do what he's going to do. Um, I do have two other theories I want to put out here before I get into mm -hmm. um, IMDb trivia. One is, uh, what if this is a prequel to Cars, and this explains why there's no, <laughs> there's no, there humans, no humans? Yeah, Cars. And my my evidence for this is that when um, a Yearly Smith and and Curtis uh, mm -hmm. are at the one gas station, uh, that tow truck that comes out to attack them. Looks like Mater. That's Mater. That's Mater. There. <laughs> I thought the same thing when I was watching. I'm like, damn it, Mater. That's Mater, right? That, yeah. that is, we don't know how he ended up out west. Maybe right. he was trying to avoid the law. All the police cars are chasing him after chasing down those people. Also, what if this is a prequel to Transformers mm -hmm. and all of them to stay in vehicle form and they just want to be dicks? That's the other. <laughs> so, to the, I mean, in, in Transformers, guys, they just stayed in vehicle form. No. Now, I don't want to I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but I mean, in, in the Transformers comic lore, the Decepticons do arrive first. Um, so that, that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> I could see them being dicks. Right, right. Do they have any cars in the, in the Decepticons, though? I don't remember the mirror actually having any vehicles. Well, well, they had the Stunticons. They had Menasaur and all that. They, they were more like at first planes and to point out that we're not guns and jets. Steven Spielberg would do series. So there you go. Woo! Right. Back at it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so 
Anyway, um, sorry, I'm dominating the conversation. I apologize. No, no. I, I drug you guys into this. I drug somehow, stuff. somehow, Transformers has come up, and I, I feel just like way less cool now. But okay, <laughs> like I, I will fight people that that first movie is actually a lot of fun. I will. Anyway, <laughs> the Shia LaBeouf one. Yeah. No 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 he was on a few of them. I'm saying the first one was pretty fun. That's all I'm saying. That well I meant like the first of the new movies, not the cartoon movies. I mean the animated one was all right. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah anyway. So um let's let's get let's get some positives about the movie. So like 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 Steve said, you know, he did King's got a good way of uh drawing characters quickly yeah. and effectively um and giving a sense of place uh you know for a guy who's, who's barely been outside of maine like he's really good at doing any city just about i mean he can do the south that's not quite true he had done the he had done like the whole yeah. the cross-country road trip i think before. right but i mean he's, he's spawning the shining because he talked about colorado and the stand yeah he lived right. in the, he lived in colorado yeah. for some time but i mean it's you know it's, it's, it's places that he hasn't lived you know he could he could do south really well mm-hmm. for for a place that he's never really lived because well um, the south is basically just northern maine right uh, <laughs> as, as a as a as a native mainer uh northern maine is is pretty much the south but we can tell you the same thing about ohio if you go yeah. if you go away from cleveland it becomes the south real damn quick right. um, yeah the mason dixon doesn't just stop <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of a dotted line up in the north somewhere Kirby. <laughs> no so steve uh some positives from the movie uh you know honestly i i don't want to be uh i don't i don't know how to put this so um okay i sometimes will go down a long road to get to a very short point uh, when I put this on, I'll, I had done two things. One, I looked at some other King adaptations that I hadn't revisited in a while. So when I purchased the Vestron uh, collection version of this, I also picked up the Shout Factory version of Silver Bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched The Mist again uh, before this, and uh, I'm trying to think if there were any others. I think those were the ones that I revisited because I hadn't watched them in a while, and I just wanted to see how they stack up. And Mist is a high bar. <laughs> yeah, Mist yeah. is a high bar, but I mean, just like as far as Stephen King movies go, because they're not something that I revisit a lot. I hate to say it that way, but I, I don't. And I hadn't seen Maximum Overdrive probably since the 80s. And I actually used to get it confused with Repo Man. And I had to Makes go sense. like, no, Maximum Overdrive, Green Goblin Truck. Same like, poster kind of deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I was expecting to sort of groan through this. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. It's, it, it, I, I would have put... I would have put Silver Bullet ahead of Maximum Overdrive before my rewatch of both. I actually put this ahead of Silver Bullet. Mainly I'm not because... a huge fan of Silver Bullet. I have to rewatch it, but I don't remember. Do you like the werewolf arm coming up out of the fog with the bat? That's the one bit in that movie where it's like, flap. Like, <laughs> <laughs> There's some good stuff in it. The, the werewolf looks a little too much like a bear, but um, Gary Busey's great in it as well, but uh, I, I actually enjoyed this more than I did Silver Bullet, right. put it that way. And I had a lot of fun with it. And I know that it's, I, I have to ask myself these days, like, am I enjoying something because of nostalgia or am I really enjoying it? And right. I can honestly say it was not a nostalgic reason that I was enjoying it. No, so, I've never felt a sense of nostalgia for this piece. Um, just never connected with me in that. I've seen it a bunch when I was a kid, but I, it's not like, you know, the Goonies where I can't see it straight if I tried uh, or, you know, Ghostbusters or whatever. But uh, so I watching this, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. It's just, it knows what it is. It's, 
it's a 50s B movie made in the 80s with, you know, a, a small to mid budget. Um, but it everything's up there on screen, the build budget, because I mean, everything's on screen in this. I mean, it's not. I would have believed, though, that whatever watermelons weren't destroyed was part of craft services that day where it's like, OK, guys, these are OK. We're going to have watermelons. They're like, God well, damn. I don't know if you do this, but um, Gallagher was actually a, a production assistant on this film. And that's how he started out. Yeah. Um, that, that makes sense to me. Gallag Gallagher and Transformers. Gallagher's brother. Gallagher's brother Gallagher, right. Gallagher, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's, it, Stephen King's always been in a weird place. His, his, his work has been like, especially in like the 80s, you know, they, he was seen as like, you know, a guy who just writes airport novels, which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, nowadays, with people who grew up on him, we, we tend to set him higher and make him, you know, like, an icon of literature. He's never tried to be that either. Uh, he's somewhere in the middle. Uh, yes, I mean, he's, he's somewhere in the middle. He doesn't. He, he knows what he wants to write. He writes it, and this is a good example of. That. I've like, I've had I've had professors. A, I've had sorry. professors in the past that would argue that King has tried very hard to become literary canon, and and in many ways, the only reason that he really hasn't is because there's a stigma. Yeah, the ghettoization uh, of horror. I mean, but it's, it's his, real uh, but people talk about uh, 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 Four Seasons in particular, mm -hmm. um, uh, as um, his. But it's attempt. not. It's not a. It's not a conscious, you know, uh, protracted attempt to become Hemingway. Mm. He's just trying to, to to try different things. I, not to get in the weeds, but he was trying to write like the. His, like the like the great american version of the lord of the rings with the dark tower like right like right thing. and then you know you mentioned different seasons that was his whole thing of like i'm gonna write three or four of these that are going to be like these really kind of like emotional like interesting books and then and then one about uh the breathing method which i'm not going to ruin that novella whatsoever people yeah i had no idea that one yeah. That one ends on a really dark note. <laughs> I'll just say that. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, I think he has established himself as one of the great American authors because yes, I feel right. like somebody. I feel like somebody like Mark Twain would probably respect the hell of him because he, yeah. he writes small towns, and I think he was influenced by Twain and his you know, Americana. Right? Like this, everything right. bleeds of that. But oh yeah, I just finished reading the uh, the Talisman again, and there is so much. You know. Um, is it Mark Twain or Huckleberry Fed that has the N-word gym? And there's a lot of that in there, including a couple of quotes from it. I'm like, come on, dude, seriously, no. Um, but I mean, he, he it, it's, there's always been this push and pull between, you know, respectable literature and, and you know, EC Comics schlock. And I think this is a, this is a good, good version of, of the form of the latter, I guess. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I'm going to point out, uh, here's a, Here's a bit of trivia at IMDb that just like I know Steve and I will sometimes find just dumb trivia because it's just dumb, right? Sure. Like this right. one is after shooting up the building, the M60 makes a small growl, hinting that it might be an invisible alien. That is the dumbest sentence I think I've read. <laughs> in a long time. But there are some growling noises. I, I noticed it when I was watching it again last night. Duel at the very end, whenever the truck goes over the edge, it sounds like a lion. Like yeah, but to to go from that to well, there's invisible aliens. I, I guess it's a good. Uh, I guess that explains my question of how do they push buttons. <laughs> How do they pull the levers? But uh, no. I think that it may be invisibility, meaning that the trivia was, you know what, did this all aliens? Like, right. Well, they do mention in the somewhere in the third act that it might be aliens setting up Earth for 
for colonization. I like that the yeah. guy hired as like a cook slash janitor is like, hey, you know what's happening? It's a broom. It's like, can you think right. outside of that box, please? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, but yeah, it's like to, to say that he was hinting at invisible aliens when you have everything explained completely straight at the beginning of the end that kind of that's a leap that i'm not willing to take yeah it's a, he would have said it was invisible aliens we would have seen them they would have been turned out to be the cats from sleepwalkers and they would have just been going dim the whole time you know? yeah there would have been yeah i mean you don't you don't imply invisible aliens you use invisible aliens right. yeah i mean like yeah but yeah you just i mean and this is like i had mentioned you know social media like there's not a really a space for these kind of movies anymore um I don't know if there ever was a big space for him in the past, but uh, ironic with an '80s throwback. Song. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, like you, you can't make. I mean, this has got a respectable budget. It's it's like a upper tier canon films kind of budget. De Laurentiis, mm-hmm. you know, did I don't know ten to fifteen million dollars for a movie. This looks probably like it's twice that. Um, but this is you know, this would be King's version of you know the second half of a double feature at the drive it. I mean, this is what what he so set out to make supposedly was nine million oh, okay that's pretty good it's box yeah. office was 7.4 million so mm, not uh, so great great <laughs> home video home video and hbo made a lot of money off of it yeah right so uh um, moved copies uh just so you guys know this was uh not that one of the top box office films of that year surprise surprise mm-hmm. uh, it was number it was 92 uh for the year of 86 uh do you guys know what the 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 top ones were like, I, I'll give you some guesses. Steve, what do you think one of the top films of 86 was? Rambo, First Blood Part 2. Uh, no, not at all. Uh, that, maybe that's 85. Maybe. Uh, all right, Nathaniel, what do you, what do you got? Oh, I have no idea. I'm, I've been, I'm terrible with dates. Yeah. Uh, what came out in 86? Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay, great. That's a good answer, too. Anyways. Eddie uh, Shack 2. I don't know. <laughs> oh, um. I like that you two of you guys mentioned films. I don't think that came out that year. All right. I, yeah. I just, all right. So I'll give you, let me give you the top 10. Sure. Number okay. one, a Top Gun. Oh. Top Gun. Uh, the Karate Kid Part 2. Back to School. Roddy Dangerfield there. Fuck like, yeah, dude. In the top five. That's uh, a good one. Aliens. Aliens was number five. Aliens. The Color Purple, which uh. is almost the same film as Aliens. Uh, oh, the fly. <laughs> <laughs> I've made that joke two other times. I had to bring it back one more time. I'm sorry. Sure. Uh, n- number seven was Star Trek for the Voyage Home. Uh, Ruthless People, number eight. Number nine, Out of Africa. Number 10, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Okay. And Stand By Me was and then, 13, by the way. So King did what okay. was What was 11 through 91? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I went like, far with that. Hey, just, yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> Poltergeist 2, the other side was number 20. So there you go. Okay. okay. So we got a. Now, was that also ghost directed by Steven Spielberg? Maybe. <laughs> Probably. But um, I mean, yeah, like these, this is like a, a big budget for these kind of movies, B yes. movie that if I don't even know if that, like, if King's name wasn't attached to it, would this have gotten made? No. Possibly oh, by Canon. Yeah. Yeah. But De Laurentiis group. Um, and nowadays, like, you. you like Paul said, you can't do this kind of movie without being like, you're like Sharknado about it. And like, you know, oh, look at how stupid we are. It's like, don't just make the stupid movie and let us have fun. Yeah. <laughs> this would never, ever, ever happen. But I'd like to see like a perfect world in which there was like 
if it was like, hey guys, what if M. Night Shyamalan remade Maximum Overdrive? Mm-hmm. That's the film, because it's like he's already made The Happening, which is almost this, but worse. Somehow <laughs> worse, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Ma'am, ma'am, no. no equally ma'am. inconsistent. Equally inconsistent. We don't know which, you know, which plant life is bad yeah, and really good. Visible aliens. We don't know. Right. <laughs> film, I, I, I've always joked that it was called Not Much Happening. I just, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I, I always referred to it as, you know, like we're trying to make signs look better in retrospect. <laughs> ma'am, ma'am, no. <laughs> no, ma'am. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, could this film be made now? Do you guys think? I mean, this is something that would. I would for, for theaters, not because anything can get made on a streaming platform these days. It doesn't matter. True. I, I think you could actually, like, I think even now. Without with, Stephen King. Sure. Like, I think you could do something. If you're going to do an homage to this, uh, and kind of like update it, uh, it was especially again. I think Stephen King even redid it, like, he kind of even touched on it a little bit with Cell with his book Cell, right? You know, kind of like the interconnectivity, which that that book, the first half was great, and then he just kind of it just kind of stopped, yeah. That's uh, that's Stephen King post 99. I mean, like, yeah, uh, it's I, I, you know, I, I start, I start with a good, I start with a good premise and mentions the characters, and then it falls apart. I will argue Desperation was like the last good mean Stephen King book, but that's just me. I thought Desperation yeah. was swinging and actually the, the miniseries is terrible, but I think the book is yeah. actually a lot of fun because it's just meme and, and like, you know, in a King way. Tack! Uh, I could see, I could see uh, like J.J. Abrams doing something like this, but missing. The uh, I, I wouldn't see J.J. Abrams doing something like this. No, I'm just, <laughs> you're asking like if it could get made. Could and see, I think but this I'm, is something yeah, that I could. Yeah. That he would try. It wouldn't have the kid getting killed. It wouldn't have people getting hit in the nuts with pop cans. It, but it would also feel like it was made in '86 for no reason. Right. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, in are we talking about like the movie itself, or like a, or a movie of of uh, with that kind of tone? I, I mean, the movie I with this kind of tone. Yeah, yeah. I can see him tone. doing this story with that kind of tone. Because I think I think Paul, I think more or less, I uh, I think said it earlier with the idea that. Uh, you know, the only way that this would this type of film would get made is with a, a wink, post ironic right. uh, uh, throwback wink. I don't think I don't think anybody would ever uh, would ever attempt something this silly earnestly. I mean, um, the closest thing I think came to it, one I was going to mention. I think the guy did uh, Upgrade, which is that what the other half of the Saw guys, which I never gave him credit until Upgrade right. was actually a pretty good movie. Upgrade. Uh, yeah, upgrade was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, I I really like that movie. Yeah, yeah it's uh, Darren Lynn Bozeman. Is that the guy who like what's his uh, name? Yeah. yeah. No, the uh, upgrade. No. Upgrade yeah. was um uh uh Lee Yeah. Sorry, oh. he was the other one. Sorry, yeah, the one that I the, the one that acted and saw that was terrible. But anyway, yeah, Lee Winnell. Yeah. 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 So upgrade's great. I think that maybe he would have the sensibility to kind of approach some of this idea of like technology. Now, mm-hmm. I never thought I'd ever give him that compliment, but I would now. Um, but I also think the closest we got to this is something like I, there was that film came out a couple of years ago called Mom and Dad that had Nick Cage. Oh, right. oh what's her name from uh, shit? Uh, oh, they would definitely have to put some Blair into this. Some yeah. Blair, where it was just one day suddenly parents wanted to kill their kids, like mm-hmm. like unexplainable, like kids are running for their lives because their parents are just trying to kill them. It's like it's almost the same switch that's flipped here with yeah. like, no explanation. Um, like I think that's maybe the closest we get to that, but it was a, you had Nick Cage, like he's actually really good in that movie. It's not a great film, but him actually being like the nice dad until the the switches flipped and being like, "Oh, there's my kids. I must kill them now." Right? <laughs> yeah, 
but yeah, we've were- had a few we've had a few uh, uh, a few outings that, are, that I guess are kind of similar in nature to the idea of like you know uh, everything going mad. I mean, it, it, as uh, it was brought up earlier in this recording too, the the idea of like this is almost like a zombie movie with trucks, right. you know. Um, you know that the idea that that civilization will will crumble because of something we took for granted. Um, yeah. We do this now with like a Trump boat parade, or like, <laughs> uh, one of those like when they did like the big like um, like you know caravan bikers for Trump. I wonder a bunch of star spangled trucks with truck nuts just running over like their owners. That's yeah. what I want to see made. That would be a, that would be a hell of a film. I'm not trying to tip my hand politically, but yes. I'm- <laughs> <laughs> Well, considering we did a we did a whole special uh, comparing uh, uh, Donald Trump to um, the villain of the Dead Zone, I think right. our politics have been made pretty clear. I, 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 was it Stillwell? Was it, was yeah, it, Stillwell. Yeah, Stillwell. Yeah. Yeah, Stillwell was like that would never happen, and then uh, and then reality was like oh, reality was like no, it will. Was yeah. it was it Stillwell selling Bibles at the beginning of the Dead Zone book? Probably, yeah. Yeah, when he kicked that dog to death, I think he was selling Bibles. So he went back to that idea of the shitty Bible salesman. Oh, so and wrong. Uh, the soundtrack to this, though, is amazing. Whoa. I love the ACDC album for this. I do think it's funny because I own the vinyl of it. When you open it up, it's all ACDC. And then, like, in the one spot, it's like really, really tiny. It's like, everything but the horror stinger, uh, the the let's do psycho but with guitars thing is fucking annoying oh, yeah. <laughs> everything else is great <laughs> i was trying yep. to find that to clip it to play it but i couldn't find a good spot for that. oh that's that's unfortunate you couldn't find it yeah. <laughs> but no so in terms of, so in ter- i don't know if like i like i i like acdc a great deal i understand they're a band that has a limited limited range right right um but who made who as much as it's a short it's like eight tracks or whatever eight or nine tracks and a lot of it's like greatest hits but like that was like i like i almost feel like in terms of the sound mix the acdc wasn't loud enough with this movie like Mm -hmm. this should have been the equivalent of rocky four where it was a 90 minute music video of acdc and cart killing people that should have been this movie um and it's like, and it has this that that album, which is like a compilation with Who Made Who being like the new track built for it, right. built, built whatever I don't know, um, manufactured at the ACDC factory. Yeah, <laughs> you know they're like, hey, this 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 song really, it just you know well, it slaps. It's a kid saying well, versus watermelons. Um, well, didn't uh, well didn't uh, King actually write a lot of the songs into the actual script, like saying this song plays here? Probably. Um, probably. There, there's a great um, uh, needle drop, uh, and I hate to use that term. Right. Makes me think of uh, Ernest Klein's Ready Player Two because I. <laughs> uh, anyway, he has a whole world full of needle drops. But right. whenever um, the trucks start lining up to get fueled, and you hear the mm-hmm. bells from Hell's Bell, fuck yeah, that's a great a little great moment. And like this film's a mess, but it's like you just hear that and you're like, oh, this is going to be bad news. Like yeah, uh, and that and that's kind of where the the film picks back up again. I felt like it kind of dragged that second act, and then once Hell's Bells comes in, I'm like, I'm back in it. <laughs> I'm here. The, the uh, diesel pump that just wanted to shoot diesel in the guy's eyes. <laughs> well, that's not him. He looked into the goddamn thing. I mean, that's yeah. I, yeah, don't ever look in the thing that shoots the thing at you. That's my, right. that's my trigger favorite. discipline, guys. Come on. <laughs> no, but um, this album has one of my favorite ACDC songs of all time. And I, like I said, I own the vinyl, and it's like after watching the movie, I had to put it on the record and turn it up loud. I love the track "Ride On," which is a Bon Scott song. 
Right. I love that track. And it's so bluesy and different than what ACDC puts out. And it's so underutilized in this film. But I like that it's like underplayed in this moment of malaise stuck at the Dixie Boy where people are like, I don't know what's going to happen next. It's just, it got kind of drowned yeah. out. But I love, it's like. That's a great, yeah, it's a great track. Yeah. yeah, it's just with with Daft Punk recently calling it quits, I would argue that the Tron Legacy score is amazing and it fits that film well. You mm-hmm. could have picked a better band to do a soundtrack for this film at that time than ACDC. And oh, I, well, certainly, yeah. I think, it and was, it gave them a bump too. It worked for them as well. Yeah. So, uh, Steve, I know you like the rock and rolls. How'd you feel about the soundtrack? <laughs> I I actually went through a period uh, that uh, I couldn't stand ACDC, but that was because and you did it in yesterday when you watched the movie. Because it's- <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm in a point now where I I like ACDC again, but I I worked um, as a pest control technician for a very long time, and I was in my truck like eight to ten hours a day, and all I had to listen to was the radio, and I, I only can- ever heard the same four ACDC yeah. songs. And it gave me an aversion to them, so it was a long time before I could listen to them again. In fairness, uh, they've only ever written five songs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it does work very well in the film, and I'm I can give a you know I I can say that yes, I'm now in a place where I am good with ACDC. I can actually listen to it and not do this when I hear it. Oh, right. Oh. I just I wish the film would have found space to play the song "Big Balls." It's- <laughs> That would there's, your, there's your truck nuts right there. Yeah. That should have been over the love scene. Right? <laughs> yeah, whatever Emilio and what's her name were like getting it on, they could have played that. I didn't find it. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I just I think the soundtrack to this is amazing. And I've owned this on vinyl a couple of times. Uh, and I think it's one of those things where I don't know why it just works for me. Uh, Did you send me a picture of the vinyl when I asked you to do a uh, sleepwalkers? You're like, why why am I not doing this? <laughs> <laughs> We own we own a record player. We own some pretty big banging speakers, and it's like I know people can argue about like digital versus analog, which which is kind of funny because this whole film was kind of digital versus analog in like a kind of a weird way. Um, sure. It's one of those things where I've had friends of mine that aren't about ACDC, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I put the record on, and somehow they're like, you know, since you played the record, I like it. I don't know. I'm right. not saying that there's weird, there's a weird like spiritual thing about it, but my God, like I love the soundtrack in this film, and maybe that's why I defend it because. It's this weird marriage of things that don't work at all. Uh, Eardley Smith does not work at all in this. Yeah, no. um, I feel bad because I think I'm sure she is, you know, a wonderful person. Um, and I, I, this tells me that Herman's head wasn't paying off for her at the time no. she took this role. Um, wasn't this before? Yeah, this is before Herman's head. Oh, okay. Yeah. God damn it, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I got my facts wrong. I'm sorry. But anyway, on that at that note, we are we are running up. We've run well over our uh, our yeah. usual uh, our usual time. Uh, so, does anybody have any quick final thoughts before we uh, before we sign off? Watch it if you haven't. Um, yeah. This film also inadvertently, you know, got uh, Evil Dead Two made because Stephen King talked to De Laurentiis about Raimi having trouble getting the film film finished, film financed. Well, considering that King also gave the bump to the original film, that kind of right. got momentum. That's awesome. Yeah. So you know respect it this is this movie that's it's a moron movie as stephen king has called it uh nothing wrong with that guys and steve uh, you wanted to uh, you wanted to pl- you wanted to plug a uh, comic book uh yeah yeah uh, i have a horror comic that i do uh with a buddy of mine by the name of ryan cassandy uh he's been my 
partner, longtime friend for almost uh, over 20 years now. Uh, but uh, we have a comic called The Saturday Night Slasher. If you want to know more about it, you can visit our website, thesaturdaynightslasher.com. Uh, you can also visit uh, our Etsy store, which is The Art of the Slash on Etsy. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for doing, the, for doing our show, Stephen. Oh, thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, and uh, hey, come back anytime. Uh, and, uh, and Paul, it's always great to have you on. Yeah. Uh, and we get to see you guys. Uh, we get to hear you guys together somewhere too. Is that right? Let me let me push that. But also, like, I was taking notes and I was drinking watching the movie. Can I just put these last two notes out here? Sure, sure. One is I need to remake this set at a Cracker Barrel that's near a water <laughs> stop. That's one of my notes I wrote here. Also, okay. During the refueling sequence, from what we know, I said, uh, "Is Emilio grabbing that fuel truck's dick?" Was the other thing I wrote here. So that I don't know. I'm gonna. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is a wonderful way to end this up. Uh, yeah, yeah, you guys, up. If you guys enjoy uh, uh, Steve and I uh, rambling for more than an hour and 20 minutes, um, if you'd like, I don't know, a three-hour podcast? I don't know. It's what we've been doing recently. Uh, check us out in Invasion of the Podcast. Um, yeah, uh, what was it we talked about? Uh, Robocop 2 recently. We're going to be talking about oh, WandaVision this week coming. We have a lot of DC stuff coming up this month because of the Snyder cut bullshit coming out in a couple of weeks. We're going to watch uh, Justice League, the 17 hour cut. And we're going to talk about it. Um, you guys can find us on Vage of the podcast. Good uh, luck with that. Yeah, I, I, I totally want in on that. I mean, on that Justice League episode uh, okay. on that Snyder cut. But yeah. um, if you want to come on, we're going to, we're also going to be talking yeah. about, um, we're doing a year of the sequel this year. Oh. Like a year of, like, so once a month we'll do something that's like a year of thing. Like, I had you guys on for the year of animation. Yeah. We're doing the year of the sequel. Nice. We just did Robocop 2. We're going to be covering the Donner cut of Superman 2. Ooh, nice. This month coming. Uh, so that will be interesting. So it's going to be very DC heavy. Cool. Um, that's why I also want to talk about WandaVision because I want to talk about the good comic stuff before we get to right. the DC stuff. Right, Steve? No, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, honestly, if you, if you, because I, I know that you're, um, and I don't mean that you're like gung ho about Snyder, but I know that you had uh, some strong feelings about uh, the Batman versus Superman. Uh, so, you know, if you're interested in coming on for Snyder, you're more than welcome to. Oh, well, I, that definitely, I would love to. Um, but yeah, so that pretty much uh, wraps us up here on At the Devil's Ball. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for, uh, uh, for your shares and retweets. We really appreciate it. Uh, and hopefully we have managed to entertain you for uh, uh, about an hour and 20 minutes. Um, uh, we remind you as always to keep it positive, keep it constructive, love yourself, love your fellow horror fans. And uh, thank you very much. Good night and namaste. Thank you.